Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And uh, while you're doing that, I am, uh, if anyone knows me well, I am not much of a, of a builder or a, a repairer of things either. But uh, actually, recently, I had this great sense of uh, satisfaction as uh, I actually repaired something in, in my house. And thank you. I feel the love and encouragement. Uh, but I had a friend in this task. Um, I picked this up many years ago. There is this home improvement book that you can uh, get from Home Depot. And it was this book that actually gave me the courage to do something that uh, I actually would never dream of doing. I actually took an electrical receptacle out of a wall and changed it completely. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? But, but I, I, man, you guys, such confidence in me. But I took time and I opened this book and I opened to the part of installing and replacing a receptacle. And it even tells you how, uh, you know, how, how long an experienced person will do it or a handy person or a novice. Novice takes 40 minutes and I'm definitely a novice. Uh, but, but I opened this up and, and I actually, I learned to go turn the switch off. You know, all right, the, that, that's a good thing. The circuit breakers, that's, that's wise, Okay. And I went, I even measured, I had those little tools my father-in-law left me once to kind of measure if electricity is still coming through. And, and I took it off and I actually had to cut away because it was an outdoor outlet and some rust had gotten in there. And I cut away and stripped some of the line. And then I had to actually change the whole box out. The box wasn't working right. So I, I went to the store and I got more guidance at Ace Hardware. Hey, how do, how do I do this? All right, what do I do? What, what do I put in here? My brother helped me out and I had to make another visit there later too. But that's another story. But, but I went home, and, and, I, and I put these things in there, and I did it. But I, I'm telling you right now, I could have never done it by myself. I needed some help of a manual. I needed some help of a guy from Ace Hardware to kind of give me some insights and to equip me to change this, this electrical receptacle out. And I did it. I went home and did it, and about two or three hours later, I was all finished. <laughs> I'm not just joking either. So I'm less than a novice, all right? But I got equipped to do it. I tell you that because we have been given a, a manual from God, and we have been given people from God to equip us to do the work of ministry in our church. We've been in a series of messages this last, this is the sixth week in a series of messages. And I'm just going to review them for me because these are goals that we have in our church that we want to strive for, for the glory of God, that we might continue to build up His church, which means you all and me included, all of us. And actually those who are yet to come to Christ, but which will be a part of this body and the first thing that we saw is that we need to be a place that is growing in a community where everybody is belonging and being connected and growing in the cause of Christ. We, we also saw that we need to be a place that in, in order for each of us to grow deeper in our Christian walk with Christ, we need to be practicing certain spiritual disciplines to deepen our walk. And then we learned about uh, evangelism. 
And our goal there is that every one of us, we're not asking that you go and reach everyone, but we're asking that you just might just reach out to one, that you might just pray for one, that you might just share Christ with one, you might just serve one lost person, and if they come to Christ, come and share it with the rest of us. We also talked about discipleship. Shane talked to discipleship for us, and where every believer is being discipled. We have a passion that we want you to be discipled, and we want to release you actually to go disciple someone else. Discipleship is, is not as hard as we often make it. It's just one person helping another person take their next step in Christ. We want to see that happening so the body of Christ might continue to, to grow. We also talked about stewardship last week. Grant shared how we're all called, every believer should be giving generously and giving out of grace how God leads you to be wise stewards of the resources he's given you. Today we want to talk about service. Where every believer is being involved in building up the body of Christ. I want to answer this question today for us. Is how does every believer get involved in the service of Christ and his church? That's what I want to answer today. I want you to walk out of here and be ready to give that answer and apply that answer to your life if you're not already. But I want us to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, because before we get in and, and to really answer this question with more specifics, we need to first understand a very theological foundational point about our salvation. And the point is this, that you and I have been saved to serve. We don't serve or we don't do works to be saved, but we are saved to accomplish good deeds for Christ. Look at verse uh, 8 with me. It says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the, the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. It's a powerful verse here and. I could easily skip over it because many of us have probably heard it hundreds of times. But let me give you a little truth. In the last two weeks, I've sat down with three different people. Three different people that didn't yet fully realize this truth. People actually in our church that didn't understand how amazing God's grace is. That God's grace, which is that work of Jesus Christ, where he died in our place for our sins, he was buried and rose again, that he did that, he accomplished that salvation based on nothing that we have done. He gives us that grace. It's, it's unmerited favor. It's undeserved that you and I have never done anything to deserve God's grace, and we will never be able to do anything to deserve God's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's a free gift. And simply all you do is respond and you receive that gracious gift through the means or the agency of faith and faith alone. You need to understand that. I, you and I, we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. It's by grace alone through faith alone. As I shared this good news with a sister and I shared it with her, and, and as she heard it, and as she grasped it, I could just see the, the relief come over her face. 
to see the tear come down her eyes. Oh, what a privilege we have. What a privilege we have to share with people who are striving and working. to thinking, yes, maybe it's, it is about Christ, but it's also about me. And no, our answer is no, it's not. It's about grace through faith alone. Nothing else. Now here's the amazing thing. After God does a work for us, He's not finished with us yet. Look, go back into the text here and, and look with me in, in verse 10. This is often the part that we, we, we forget. We quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but there's, a, there's another part. God just hasn't saved us and said, see you later, but He saved us and He wants to sanctify us. He wants to, literally it says here, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That is, you and I who have put our faith and trust in Christ for salvation are not what we once were. We're not as we read earlier in the Ephesians passage. We're, we're no longer children of wrath. We're no longer considered as sons of disobedience. But we have a new position we've been given, and that is we are new creatures in Christ. We've literally we've been born again. We've been recreated in Christ, we might say. We're not who we were, once were. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. It is the old purposes, the old plans, the old power that once had sway over you. It has passed away. And in Christ, you're a new creation and new things have come. You have new purposes. You have new plans in Christ. And guess what? He's given you the power of his Holy Spirit and you have a new power in your life as well. Amen? God's not done with you. He's working on you. He saves you. He realizes you're still in this flesh, and he goes to work on us. A story's told of a, of a young man who was rowdy and disruptive and a young boy in Sunday school. Fortunately, it wasn't my son. But it, this, this boy frustrated his teacher, and, and once she just burst out and she said this, she says, why do you act like that? Why do you act like that? Do you not know who made you? To which the boy replied, he said this, God did, but he ain't through with me yet. <laughs> and man, I am so thankful that God ain't through with me yet. I know me, and I know all the work that God has had to do in me, but he's not finished with me yet. And He's not finished with you yet. He has a purpose and a plan to continue to set you apart to more and more to Christ's likeness. And He has a purpose and a plan to use you, the body of Christ, in His redemption plan and the building up of His church. You've been saved to serve. If you don't believe me, look at the text there. The text says this. He says in verse 10, He says, For good works, that is, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works. That word uh, workmanship in, uh, in uh, the, the verse before, or the phrase before, is a word that we get poemima. poema. It's what the word we get our poem from. In the Greek, it, it literally, it, it often referred, was used in this way to refer to a, a work of art. And that's different from the word here. It was actually that word was only used, used of God's work. And so when I think of that word workmanship, I think of it this way. I love to think of it this way, that in God's hands, you and I are pieces of art. 
that He's continuing to mold and to shape and to work in. And He's designing you. He's designing each of us differently. Each of us have different gifts and talents and abilities. And He's working and shaping those and molding those so that He might work through us to do good works. That's what He says here. For we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing that that God has done a work of salvation and He's continued to do work in us in order that He may accomplish God-ordained works? Isn't it incredible that God saved or gave us something we could not work for, that salvation? He's doing a work in us, something we could not do, in order to do works for Him. That's amazing that God would bring us in on that plan. We ought to get excited that the creator of the universe would look down on us as sinners and utterly change us and say, I want to use you in my plan. That ought to get you excited. I ought to elicit at least one amen, all right? Especially from the Ewing clan over there. I have heard nothing. All right, there we go. This is exciting stuff. That God wants to use you. That he has saved you to serve him in the building up of his church. Now, what are these works? Well, these works are, are many in detail, but overarching, they're about this. They're about bringing glory to God, and they're about building up his church. Now, God is working and shaping and doing this, this work in you, but at the same time, he has called other gifted individuals, a part of the body of Christ, those he's gifted through his Holy Spirit, to actually come alongside of you join him in his workmanship, and actually equip you to serve. So the first thing you need to realize is, one, that you've been saved to serve. You have no excuse for not serving. God has saved you to serve. The second thing is, you need to get equipped to serve. So turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, in verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as, as prophets. That is, the foundation of the church was laid by these gifted individuals. God sent these sent ones out, and he had prophets who, who spoke for him and laid the foundation of the church. And then, But he also gave these who were evangelists. That is, those who were all called to evangelize, but God equipped and, and gifted some do they just have a special gift to be able to articulate the gospel and, and make a connection with, with lost people. And they, they actually spur us on to share the gospel with other people. And he's also given us, given us pastors, teachers. I'm of the opinion that this is probably referring to the, the same thing as, as it's, it's governed by one article. But pastors, teachers, one of which I am. Those who are gifted and enabled to come alongside and, and to care for and to nurture believers. To encourage them and, and build them up and, and able to take the word of God and articulate it and, and deliver it in a fashion that is applicable to life. But they have a certain role that they're to play in your life as well. It's not that the pastor, teacher, the evangelist is, is any of more importance than anyone else. It's not. They just have a particular function, a particular gifting, that they're to come alongside you and to help and exhort you and build you up in your gifting and your design to go, and look what the Word says here, for the equipping of the saints for the work 
of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's our job. Now, first of all, who are the saints? Because some of you are thinking, well, Matt, I'm not a saint, so I'm out of this, all right? I am not a saint. Let me, let me tell you something. Being a saint is not about being one who is chosen by some ecclesiastical body out there who decides, hey, this person's a saint because they've done all this and this. Well, this person's not yet a saint. A saint is anyone. It's just literally the idea of being set apart to. Saint is anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and has been set apart in the righteousness of Christ. They are now considered a saint. So how many of you are here are believers in Jesus Christ? Raise, come on, raise your hands. All right, we want participation. All right, just say with me, I'm a saint. You are a saint. I am a saint. It's not because of our righteousness that we're a saint. It's because of Christ's righteousness and our identity in him that we are a saint. Amen? That is awesome to know. Don't, ever, don't you ever forget that truth. Don't ever forget that truth. When the, level, the devil comes and, and he lies to you and, and kind of casts you down because of your sins and, and, and says, you're, you're still one of those sons of disobedience, you need to turn around to him and say, no, in Christ, I'm a saint. And because you have a new position, you have new purposes and you have new plans. And he says, I want you to, to get equipped. You're to be equipped by pastors, teachers for this. Look at this. For the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's the church. Did you know? Did you know that Grant, myself, and Jeb have not been hired to do all the work of the ministry? Did you know that if you go and look at my job description, which is actually this verse right here, my job description doesn't say, and and the, the job description Grant wrote up, it's pretty long, all right? So I can always pull this card out on them, you know? It's to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, I do work of the ministry, but my main focus, my primary mission is to equip you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to do the work of ministry in the church. My job is to prepare you. In essence, this word equip means to mend or it means to bring to completeness or it also carries the idea to to bring to full fitness for doing the works of the ministry. Now, I've been coaching Madeline's basketball team at Woodway Family Center for, uh, this is my second year in doing this. And I love it. All right, I'm just going to admit, I'm probably more competitive than those kids that are out on that floor. All right, and so my wife has always got to be across the floor like. (laughs) So. That, that happens, okay? I'm just, I am. But I love it because I'm a pastor teacher. I love to teach. My fun, the funnest thing I enjoy is I love getting those girls when they start and then watching them several weeks later when they can do things different and they learn and they get equipped. And so I'm teaching them defense. I'm like, hey, you got to get down like this, all right? You got to get your hands up. You got to move them. I'm teaching them how to get open on offense, how to make set picks, how to do cuts, do an L cut, a V cut. All these kind of things. They're like, what? what are you talking about? But in a few weeks, they get it. They start doing it. And it's fun. But guess what? As competitive and excited as I get, I can't go out there and play the game for them. There comes a point when they've got to break out of the practice, they've got to break out of the huddle, and they've got to go play the game themselves and use the equipping. Now, in practice, sometimes I'll practice with them. I'll try to model it with them. But there comes a time when they have to step away from practice, step away from the huddle, and they got to go play the game. And so, too, with you. 
God did not call you to sit on the bench. He didn't. Get off of it. Get equipped. Go to practice. Get in a huddle. Learn the plays. And then go play the game. That's my job. Matter of fact, I agree with uh, Tony Evans when he writes this. The greatest downfall of the church today is the thought that the pastor has been hired to do the work of the ministry. Let me read that again to you. The greatest downfall of the church today is the thought that the pastor has been hired to do the work of the ministry. That is a lie. We are to do the work of the ministry of building up the body of Christ. Imagine with me if we moved off from this, uh, this statistic of where it's usually 10 to 20 percent of the people in the church who actually do the 80 percent to 100 percent of the work. Imagine with me if, if, we, if we all took ownership that, yes, God, I have been saved to serve. And matter of fact, God, you've given me gifted people who will come alongside and equip me. And imagine if everyone took on the role to serve in the building up of the body of the church, whether it's a ministry in the church or whether it's a ministry in the community, regardless, you're in the, on the church. You're in the church. What if everyone said, you know what, I'm a minister. Matter of fact, say that with me. I'm a minister. Now, a little bit louder than that. I'm a minister. You are ministers. And so what if every one of us went out and we did our ministry for the glory of God and the building up of His church? Can you imagine the impact that would make? I believe the greatest hope in this world is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church and He has chosen to use us. And when you and I submit to His headship and get a part of His plan, we can turn things upside down because of the power of God working in us. Amen? Serve. Get equipped to serve. Now, how do, how do I do this? And the first thing is you've got to own your role as one of Christ's ministers. Don't ever believe the lie that you're not a minister because you are. You've been called to serve. The second thing this, though, is, is very important is that you need to be grasping the goal of our ministry. What is it? What are we after? Are we just trying to fill up seats? Are we just trying to say we're the largest church? Why do we do children's ministry? Why do, why do, why do we do, uh, why do we present God's word? Why are we getting into small groups and doing acts of care and encouragement and, and kindness? And why are we discipling one another? Why are people going out and working with ministries such as CareNets and Mission Waco and, and other ministries out there in our community? Why do we do that? It's right here. It's about Christ and his church. The text says, we're equipping the saints for the work of service to build up, building up of the body of Christ. Our job is, is we want to we want to grow deep in Christ, so that we might bear fruit for Christ. And as we grow deep, we want to go out so that we might reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that the church continues to grow as people come to hear the gospel and believe in the gospel. And then we just take them again and we we help them mature and we help them grow and then they go out. And they serve as well. And as we do that, the church is built up and God is glorified. He is magnified. You say, well, what, is this, what are the indicators that the local body of believers being built up? Well, let's just look real quickly here at verses 13 through 16. We have four indicators of what the church looks like. First of all, we are all maturing in Christ's likeness. Look at verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say until 
this person attains or that person attains or this person attains. What does it say? So we all look. The church and Christianity is a team sport. All right. It's a team sport. We're in this together. When when Paul starts talking about what are the indicators of a body being built up, he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about all of us here. We're all in this together. We're all on the same team, and we have one coach, one leader, and that is Jesus Christ. And he says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that is, the, that in essentials of faith, we're, we're growing, we're united in those things. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, and this is not just intellectual knowledge, this is the Greek word epigenosis, and it speaks of, of relational knowledge as well. It's not that I just know him here in my head, but it's actually I know him and I experience him in my heart and in my life. I'm walking with him. He says this also, he says, to a mature man that we're all growing and maturing to the measure of the stature of belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is the more that we are being equipped as a church, that people should look in at Fellowship Bible Church or whatever church there is out there, and they should look at them and they say, man, as I look in at that church, that church as a whole is looking more and more and more like Christ. That's what we're after. The second thing that we're after is we are stable in doctrine. Look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. That is, an equipped church is a people who are not being carried away by false teaching. And there is false teaching everywhere. It is constantly trying to make its way into the church. So you pray for your leaders. You pray for your elders and your pastors. That we are wise and discerning and we fight that stuff off. But we're, we're a church that is being counseled from the whole Word of God. Then the three, look at this, verse 15. Yet speaking the truth of love, we are growing up in all aspects unto Him who is the head, even Christ. That is, we are a church that is blending truth and grace and community. That we're not like the false teachers who are telling lies, but we're a church that's because we care and we love Christ and we care and love you, that we're willing to come into your life. We want to point truth to you, but at the same time we do it with grace and love because we know we need that truth just as much. That's a church that's being built up. And then last, we're all doing our parts in the cause of Christ. Look at this. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That is, get this, Christ is the head. He's the chief shepherd. He's in charge. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, that that is, he's providing what we need, okay? He's, He's designed it, organized it according to, now get this, this is for us. Get this part. You might even want to underline if you dare in your Bible. It says this, according to the proper working of a few parts, Just those parts that are especially gifted? No, look what it says. What does it say in there? Tell me. Each, each individual parts. The body is built up as each individual part is doing their part. They're working properly. This is what causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. Sometimes we say, you know what, Matt, I, I, I... My role is just not that important. 
I mean, you're the pastor. You've been given gifts, gifts like that. But my role is not that much that important. That's not what that text is saying. That text right there says every part is important to the cause of the growth of the body of Christ. My freshman year in college, um, I was playing basketball, doing great, having a great time, uh, just getting up and down that floor, just having a great time. And then I tore the plantar fascia in my foot. That hurts, okay? Let's put it mildly. And so I, could, I had to go walk, I had to wear this walking boot for some time. But the reality is I could still go to practice and I could still work on my dribbling and I could still go and I could shoot and, and I actually I could, I could jump on one foot, okay? I mean, the rest of my body was strong and ready to go. But because that foot wasn't working properly, it affected my whole game. I couldn't play. I couldn't participate as well. I couldn't get the job done. That's my point. Every part is crucial to what the body of Christ does. See, the strength of the church is seen in that it's, it's only effective as the sum of all its parts. That is, your lack of involvement, your lack of service in some aspect of the body of Christ somewhere is in reality keeping us from being as healthy as we could be. Your part is crucial. It's crucial. Every part matters. Now, so we get equipped by realizing we've been saved to serve, all right? We start with that, and then we have to get equipped. And then part of that, or we have to grasp the goal. I'm sorry, we have to own our ministry, then grasp the goal, and then we need to take some specific actions here. And that's where I want, to, I want us to land here. What are some specific actions that we need to take to get equipped? Well, the first one is this. Real simple. is come ready to be equipped. We want you to come in here, and we want you to be encouraged. It's an awesome time for us to worship God together. But this is also a time to come and say, all right, God, what do you have to teach me personally? What are the character areas I need to grow in? And then how can I use this in service to you? We offer uh, Sunday community classes and other opportunities. Matter of fact, in one of the Sunday community classes I've uh, actually been facilitating, it's called Soul Care. And we've actually been working on how do we actually speak the truth in love? Matter of fact, before I came in here, one of those that was attending the class said, hey, we just used that this past Friday. I'm like, yes, they came to be equipped. There's two questions you need to ask. You need to ask, how does this apply to my life personally? But how might this apply to my personal ministry to others? Whenever I disciple a guy, I want to help him grow. But at the same time, I say, hey, look, man, here's my expectation of you. Okay? That when I get done with you, that my expectation, this may or may not happen, but my expectation is that someday I'll walk in here and I'll see you sitting down with a guy and going through some of the same stuff that I'm going through. Because we're not just called to intake, intake, intake. We're not called to be cul-de-sac Christians. You know what a cul-de-sac Christian is? There's only one entry. We need to be an avenue where the truth comes in, affects our life, and then we send it back out to someone else down the street. That's what we're called to. So come to be prepared. The second thing is this. Ask for help. I think there are a few reasons that why people don't get equipped to serve. The first is they don't make it a priority. 
I just I address that with the first one. You've been saved to serve. Make it a priority. Second is this fear. People say, well, what if I can't do it? I'm, I'm afraid to try. I might mess up. My answer is this. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Quit walking in fear and trust God. Quit it. Don't let fear keep you from ministering and being a part of God's plan. A third thing is this, is embarrassment. I want to do this, but I don't know how. Let me. I just don't want to tell you what. Here's the answer. If you're embarrassed, guess what? You're going to mess up at some point. Okay? Just ask Grant. I still mess up. A lot. Okay? I don't always tell him all the things I mess up in. You will. All right? But come and learn. Matter of fact, you learn from your mistakes. You learn from those things. Come and ask for help. I love it. I love it. Matter of fact, I, I love basketball so much. My, my middle child, Hannah, she's, uh, she will come to me and she says, Daddy, go, go, go show me some stuff. Let's, let's go out on the court. And I get excited about that. I was like, yeah, let's go. All right? And, and I'll teach her. And we want that. We want you to come, and if you want to, if you, God's laying a ministry in your heart, come and let us show us. As a matter of fact, Debbie Jessup, our, our director of preschool uh, children's ministry, one of the things she does is when she doesn't throw people in there just teach. She actually puts those people with another teacher who's been teaching for a while so they might learn and see examples and get comfortable so they might get equipped. So come, ask for help. Get a mentor. Get someone to disciple you. A third thing we need to do is we need to discover your divine design for service is you need to take the time to think through and consult with others about how God has uniquely designed you. Did you know that each of us are not designed the same? And that's good. God's church is not about everybody looking the same. It's about unity with diversity. And that he's given each of us different gifts, different abilities, different talents, because those are needed within the body of Christ. I need things that you have to offer. And you need things that I might have to offer, and vice versa with everyone in here. So we need to discover our design. I'll just go through this real quickly. The first thing to look at is desire. That is, what ministry would I love to do? I love to do what I'm doing right now. I love it. I love to go meet with a guy in a, in a, a coffee shop or something and, and, and talk about Christ with him and share with him. And there are things in your heart that God has given you your passion about doing. I think of some of the people that work at Care, they're passionate about that. Do it. God's given you a love for that. If God's given you a love to, to minister to people who are in struggling marriages, do it. Go do it. He's given you that love for a reason. Second thing is experience. What has God guided me through? If there's anything I've learned over the years is that God can take my pains and he can minister out of them. God doesn't waste our experiences. He uses them for his glory. Another thing is we need to understand our spiritual gifts. What am I gifted to do? And the easiest way to find this is to pray about it and actually start serving, and all of a sudden you'll start seeing, hey, there's some things God's blessing. I can actually do this thing. And God will show you those gifts. Your individual style, where does my personality best suit me to serve in God's kingdom? Matter of fact, if you're an introvert, you probably don't need to be on the greeter team, do you? Probably not the place for you, all right? But you may be fantastic in some other area that is just as important, but it's maybe just not at the front door. All right? That's vital. 
got to understand your individual style, your personality. Growth. What ministry am I ready to do? All right? New believers not ready to be an elder. Natural abilities. What skills do I have? We've got guys who are skilled in finances. They advise us on finances. We've got guys who are skilled in other areas, and they serve in those other areas. Another thing is we need to seek balance in my ministry. Let me just give it to you real quick here. It says, my, my family must be first in my ministry. The greatest disciple-making opportunity you'll ever have is with your family. Start there. But guess what? In discipling your family, you need to show your family how they are to serve others and they are how to serve in the church. So here's a couple things I've learned and I've learned from others. The first is this. When it comes to ministry in the church gathered or dispersed out in the community, my primary ministry commitment should be in an area where I'm gifted. You've got to find that sweet spot. This is just where I ought to be. We'll find that. And then there's the other area. My secondary ministry often includes serving in other areas of the body where I'm needed. Let me just give you a reality check here. Sometimes you may not like it, but in serving Christ, you just got to do stuff. All the time. There's just stuff you got to step up. You know what? Those chairs need to be picked up. I'm on it. I'll help you out. All right? Just step up and do it. Just do what's needed. Then the last one is this. This is something we want you to think of when we talk about balance of ministry. At least one ministry and no more than three. When we talk about ministry in the church, either here or dispersed in the community, we're thinking at least one ministry, no more than three. And you know why? Because we've got some, some people who are just, ooh, I'm ready, and they're doing five, okay? Remember, I can think of one lady who's actually sitting over in this area that she's over the limit, Okay? So if someone's needing one, I, I can send you someone who can give you one, okay? I love my wife, so that's why I'm doing this. At least one, no more than three. We want balance. We don't want to wear you out, okay? And then this, this is the last one. This is what we'll sum it up with. It's found in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace, or manifold grace of God. Go serve. Just do it. Employ it. Put all excuses aside. Go serve. Go serve. Then the verse goes on. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves to do so as one is serving by the strength which God supplies. That is, trust God in the ministry you do to empower you. Do you know there are many times when I'm in a situation particularly if I'm counseling someone and, and I just run into this situation, God, I have no idea what to do. God, I don't know how to answer this person. I don't know what to do. You've got to show up. And he does. He brings something to my mind where I'm like, I don't think I've ever memorized that verse. But he does it. Trust God to work through you. And then last, it says, So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. What moves us to serve is because we have a passion for Christ. We have a love for God and a love for His glory to be magnified through us. That's why we serve. That's why we do it. It's not what man will think of us. It's because we love God. Because He loved us first. That we serve. On August 22nd, 1741, a man named Charles Jennings 
delivered a collection of Bible verses to a composer friend of his, George Handel. He said to him, can you make an entertainment out of it? And the story is told that as soon as Jennings had left, the, the master Handel started reading the text he had received. The words Handel noticed were all taken from Scripture, but in arranging the quotations, the master noticed that uh, the master felt Jennings had actually outdone himself in the work that he had done. The words, he said, seemed to sing by themselves. So Handel started writing at once, and he wrote so fast that the ink had scarcely dried on one page before he had gone to another page. The score was covered with, with splotches, but the master Handel did not notice them. He, he forgot the whole world around him as he, he, he went to work. He said this, whether I was in my body or out of my body as I wrote the Messiah, Handel said later, I know not. For 24 days, he remained in the little front room on the first floor of his house near Hanover Square in London, setting down thousands of notes to Jennings' biblical excerpts. At regular intervals, Handel's servant brought him food, but the, the master left it untouched. Sometimes the servant stood in silent wonder as the master's tears fell on the page and, and mingled with ink while he penned his notes. And once the servant found the master sobbing with emotion, he had just finished the Hallelujah Chorus. I thought I saw all heaven before me, Handel told his choir boys, and the great God himself. Charles Swindoll would write in response to this, Handel's Messiah has enraptured audiences for over 250 years. It is considered Handel's finest work. But what if, but what if his masterpiece had never been published? What if the composer had rolled up his composition and locked it in a cabinet, shutting away the melodies and lyrics in his own mind and, and sharing them with no one? If he had one of music, if he had one of music's greatest, greatest achievements would have been lost. And a host of people would have missed out on the enjoyments and benefit and blessing of such a grand song that exudes the glory and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So too in us. Remember I said we're, we're like works of art in God's hands. We're more than just a literary or a musical masterpiece. But we're a masterpiece that God sent His Son to work on our behalf, to save us from our sins. And, and we're a masterpiece that, that God continues to do His workmanship in us, to set us apart to Christ's likeness. And we're a masterpiece that God, the creator of this universe, wants to take and use in His, His humongous masterpiece, that is the church. Church, don't go and put your part of the masterpiece in a drawer and shut it. Oh, may you let God use you and display His glory to a watching world and for all eternity. May you realize you've been saved to serve and may you get equipped to serve to glorify God. Amen. Dear God, we come and we are in awe, Lord, that you would use us. May we never be overcome or forget how awesome that is, God.
Lord, I, I pray that you will move amongst your people. And Lord, you will help them to realize how much you love them and how much you have worked in their life and you want to continue to work. And Lord, help them to realize what joy and awesomeness there is in serving you. Lord, I pray that you grab a hold of your people, remind them that they have been saved to serve, and Lord, may you continue to work in them to get equipped to serve, to bring you glory, Lord, and to build up your church, the church of Jesus Christ. It's in the name of that Savior that we pray. Amen.